Listen, um, there's so many things that God does through this house. We're so, so blessed and honored to be part of it. One of the things that, that, that God does, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we do have a TV show that airs on Fox every Sunday morning. And it goes out through, through many parts of the South Coast and New England region. And one of the areas that, that, that is hitting is, is actually helping inmates behind bars connect with Jesus. And I get letters from inmates who, 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 who tune in every week and tell us about what God is doing in their lives. And, and uh, one of the prisons that we're reaching is in Shirley, MCI. And, uh, and today we have a really a cool guest with us today because we've been connecting about it. And he's the chaplain of the, the prison. He said, listen, these guys got me hooked on the TV show and we've been doing it together and God's doing some awesome things behind bars. And so I asked, uh, I asked Chaplain T.J. Weaver to come and share a little bit to just give you an insight of how your church is blessing people in places that you wouldn't even think God will go. But believe God goes after those who are lost and need salvation and need healing. And he's here with his beautiful family. I mean, look at this amazing family here, beautiful kids and wife. And Chaplain, would you come and share with us? Let's thank God for Cha Chaplain Weaver. go, sir. Amen. Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Good morning, New Life South Coast Church. Man, I'm so excited, man, to, to be here. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I, uh, there was an inmate in the prison at Shirley, and he was constantly bothering me, really, you know, harassing me like every morning. I'm, I'm trying to get to my office and the inmates like, dude, did you, did you check out the service, right, at, at New Life South Coast Church? And I'm thinking, no, man, I haven't watched it yet. Or he'll ask me, did you hear the sermon? And I'll say, no, I haven't heard it yet. And I was thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta finally break down, get on the website, check this out, because I didn't want the embarrassment of having to say, no, I haven't heard it yet. And man, when I heard uh, Pastor Pastor Minister and, uh, and I saw how God was moving here, man, I, I was hooked. And so it's just a tremendous blessing to be here. I brought my wife. I wanted my family to be here over here, Gina and the kids. And I got to say this, man. I, I stopped, talked to Pastor Marco for the first time on the phone, and I thought, man, this guy is dope. Like, this, this guy is cool. And I'm thinking, man, I definitely want to build with this guy. But man, the Lord has blessed you. Uh, beautiful wife and family that Pastor Marco has. God has been good to him. And I can tell the Lord has moved mightily in this place as well. I began working at the Department of Corrections at Shirley uh, almost two years ago. And I was working with the previous chaplain we were serving uh, during Christmas season. And we had packed, we had, there was a number of gift bags that were packed for the inmates. Uh, nothing real extravagant, basically soap, toothpaste, uh, things that we can grab anytime here on the outside. But for those guys, uh, this is luxury. Uh, these little things mean a lot to them. And it was just AIM toothpaste. It wasn't even Colgate. It was like the cheapest brand, right, that we threw in the bag. And, and those guys were lining up. It was my first time interacting with the inmates on a larger scale. And I was there and I was standing with the chaplain and we had some Christmas music playing it, playing to make it feel Christmassy. And, and the inmates were lining up and I was just looking at them and, and we were shaking their hands. And as they were walking by, they began, they began to become very emotional. Just this little token, this little gift that we were giving them said to them that they mattered. You see, the inmates in prison, they're a forgotten generation of people. The, the concepts of the gospel of, of sin and, and redemption and reconciliation and, and condemnation and propitiation and the substitutionary atonement of Christ, these concepts of the gospel, they resonate for these men because they know what it's like to be rejected. Yeah. They understand guilt. <laughs> you know, they understand, they know they're sinners, you know, and, and so the gospel really is good news for them. And as I was standing there watching these guys walk by, I became, I thought, man, they look like me. I look like them. And I thought, wow, I'm looking at these guys. They have so much potential. I'm thinking they have so much potential. Do you know that the prison is a reservoir of, of, of gifts and callings and, and, and just occupations and vocations right in the prison walls? 
And I thought, man, I was one of them. I grew up in a single parent home. I was robbing, I was stealing, I was angry. But one of the primary differences between me and them is that Christ intervened in my life. Right? You know? Oh man, God is good. Christ intervened in my life. He informed my way of thinking. The prison is filled with men that have grown up fatherless. Their fathers have either abandoned them or if they're like me, maybe they were born and all they've known is single parent living where mom had to do everything by herself. And that's profoundly impacted how they view themselves and how they view life. One of the differences between me and them is that Christ fathered me. That song, Good, Good Father, really resonates with me because he really is a good, good father. And so as I'm looking at these guys, I'm thinking, man, they're involved in, um, they're involved in different programs, CRA, uh, education programs. There's some great programs they're involved in, but I understand that really ultimately, right, it's Christ that they need. It really is Jesus Christ that's going to reduce the recidivism rate. We're seeing men come to know the Lord, whether they be gangbangers or, or drug lords or, or whatnot, they're coming to know Christ. Just, I've seen several inmates accept Christ in the prison. Just the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, we had an opportunity for the men to, to, to speak into each other's lives. We had a couple of guys that were Satanists that had come to know the Lord as a result of, uh, had come to know the Lord. And you see these two Satanists, this is a true story, right? Instead of speaking curses, they're speaking blessings into each other's lives. <laughs> We're seeing so many lives changed. Right now, I want to cast vision for this opportunity for new life. And Pastor Marco, man, I, I, want to, I definitely want him to be on board. But as a result of COVID-19, we haven't been able to have service. And uh, a lot of guys have left, which is awesome. A lot of guys are getting out of prison. So we see the Lord working on a larger scale, right? In the judicial system, all the way up to, to Congress. It's really cool to see how God is moving. But we have an opportunity to replant our church for the incarcerated. This is a church planting opportunity. And, and so we're going to be relaunching our church because what we want to create is a pipeline of ministry. Right? You know, Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those in prison as if you were there with them. And that challenge to the church, uh, what we want to do, a lot of churches uh, are doing great ministry, but they don't have an active ministry involvement in the prison. And so what I really want to do is help churches across Massachusetts practice remembering those in prison, not just remembering, but remembering with the, the intent to act. Right, And so I want to encourage churches to get involved to help us plant this church and to create a pipeline of ministry so that when these guys get out of prison, there's a church already there welcoming them. Yeah. Right. And so i got to hurry up and be quiet. I'm taking, I'm taking Pastor Marco's prison, uh, preaching time, so let me, <laughs> let me just read this letter real quick and I'm going to get out of the way. This is from Mike Santa, man. Uh, Mike Santa was, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I was able to connect with Pastor Marco and he wanted me to read this letter to you guys. It says, Pastor Marco and New Life family, God bless you all. And greetings from New Life, Shirley. Please know that I pray for all of you each day. You have an anointing and a mighty pastor and God's favor is great upon you. And his calling is mighty through the Holy Spirit for this church. God is doing a mighty work through all of you. God wants you to do a great and mighty work through New Life South Coast Church. He is going to and already is using you to turn New Bedford and beyond upside down for Jesus. Amen. Just as he used the early church to turn their world upside down, continue to reach out to the outcasts of society and you'll see him work mighty miracles and his bountiful blessings poured upon you. Don't allow discouragement to take a hold of you, Pastor Marco. God has you uplifted in his mighty and powerful mighty hand. I love all of you, and I'm excited for each day God opens these prison doors and, and when I can join you all in this mighty work. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, brother.
That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here. Can you guys bring me down a little bit? I mean, I know I'm excited, but um, bring me down a little bit. Um, it's so good to be in God's house. We need to worship. We need to worship. You know, we need to get our eyes off ourselves and put it on him. That's what, that's what worship is. You know, we spend so much time looking inwardly. We come to look outwardly and upwardly so we can get hope inside of you. You know, the more you, the more you focus on yourself, the more depressed, the more stressed, the more worried, the more frustrated. So why not put it on someone who can do something about the thing you're worried about, you're stressed about? Can you say amen? And don't come to church to expectate. Hey, this is a team effort, right? Some of y'all, you come into church like we're here to impress you. <laughs> you know, when I used to be a youth pastor, I used to tell the kids, you know, you come to church, you're like, I'm bored. I'm like, guess what's boring you are? <laughs> right? And I'm like, if you don't worship, guess what? Your mama. <laughs> Told you, you can't take the hood out of the kid. It's in there. So pray for me. <laughs> Once in a while, it comes out. But if you have your Bibles, we are in Genesis today. We are in Genesis chapter 4. Last week, we began a new series titled Grow to Maturity. Tell your neighbor, you need to grow up. Just make sure it's the right neighbor. Because he might show you how immature he is. <laughs> we need to grow up a little bit in our faith. And today, we're going we're gonna to have one of those, those words that you need to lean in to receive. Tell your neighbor, lean in a little bit. Tell your neighbor, don't bother me right now. I need to lean in. Forever. I want to welcome you into service. I hope you're leaning in forever. And everybody online, can I tell you something? God's word is powerful exactly where you are. If you lean in, you'll get something out of it today. Or you can just expectate from where you are. But I pray you lean in right now. Forever, make some noise all the way in forever. I want to hear you make some noise where you are. I believe God's going to do something awesome today, but you're going to have to lean in. Everybody say lean in. Yeah. Amen, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we in Genesis 4. Last week we told you that a mature person is faithful, fruitful, as their true selves in Jesus. They're not trying to impress anyone. They're not trying to be something that they're not. They are coming into that reality of who they are. And that allows them to be faithful and fruitful. Can you say amen? So I want to talk to you today about the price of immaturity. If we don't grow up, we pay a price. The price of immaturity. I got to say, this is a strong word. I hope I'm talking to some mature people in the house and online. Genesis chapter 4 shows us the price of immaturity. It says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. They were married, y'all. Just want to point that out. They were married. That's a mature word already. If there's no ring, if there's no ring, this doesn't apply to you. Quiet already in this Baptist church. I read one line. One line. One line. What happened to holy, holy, holy? This is holiness. Holiness. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve. She became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So you got a shepherd and a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. 
Why do you look so dejected? Another version says, why are you throwing a tantrum? Remember we talked about this last week. You will be accepted if, if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Verse eight, one day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Another version says, am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, but the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. That's the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. What we just read is the second theological war in the Bible. The first one was just in the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 3, where a serpent, a cunning serpent, came to Adam and Eve inside of the first theological war on earth by asking a question to Adam and Eve. The question was, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve responded by saying, no, he said, we, can, we can't eat, we just can't touch that one tree over there. And the serpent says, nah, God is just trying to hold out on you because he knows the moment you eat that, you will know good from evil and you will be just like him. So the first theological war was to question what God had already established. Because they questioned what God already established, they rebelled against the will of God and the purpose of God. And the domino effect begins to take place out of this rebellion. So immediately the next chapter over, even though some time have gone by, the damage had been done already in human nature where we would now be in a theological battle, not just with God, but with each other in ourselves. If you're wondering what theology is, theology is simply the study of God. Everyone, in a sense, is a theologian. Why? Because everyone has certain understandings of God. Everyone has certain opinions of God. Everyone has certain things that they believe God is about. And so we all kind of, in a sense, are theologians. The problem is we're sinful and we have a distorted understanding of who this God is. And when you have a distorted understanding of who God is, it leads to a distorted understanding of who you are and a distorted understanding of who others are. Come on, come on, come on. Are you tracking so far? So the goal of this journey is that our theology gets more and more refined and hopefully we grow closer and closer to the true understanding of this God because the more we understand God well, the more we understand ourselves well and then the more we're gonna see other people in the same lens. This is a theological war, why? Because it tells you that these two brothers came to God to offer a gift or a sacrifice. In their understanding of a gift, of a sacrifice, is how you express your devotion, your love and appreciation for the God who's providing for you. 
And so they both come to express their worship. They come to express their praise. They come to, to tell God how good he is and, 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 and how awesome he is and how he's been provided for them. They both come and bring what makes sense to them out of the place where they work because the Bible says that you would produce fruit from where you work, from where you labor, and that it is an outcome of God's blessing over your life. So they come to bring their sacrifice to God, their worship unto God. And the Bible says that the younger brother Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. He offered some of his lambs and he sacrificed some of his best lambs and, and God was pleased with his sacrifice. And his older brother Cain offered crops from his farm. And the Bible says that God did not look at his sacrifice with acceptance. And this triggers a deadly theological debate. Why is a brother killing another brother over a way of worship? A distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of self, which in turn leads to a distorted view of your neighbor. Leads to a deadly consequence. Cain, get this, kills Abel over what is the right kind of sacrifice to God. Sacrifice, which is a way of expressing your love, your devotion to God. It's how you express your worship to God. This is theology. This is how it shapes your theology. When you come in here and you sing, hopefully you're singing because you're expressing your devotion to God. You're not just singing some songs. And you're going to ask the question, is my sacrifice pleasing to God? I find it interesting that Cain is angry, but he doesn't seem to focus his anger on the one who didn't receive his sacrifice. Yes, yes, that's good. That's good. I also find it interesting that he's not angry at himself for not bringing the proper sacrifice. Yes, yes, come on, come on. He's angry at his brother for maybe offering something that he himself didn't offer. Isn't that interesting that in our immaturity, we will project our anger towards others? And usually, the people closest to us pay the highest price. I have found over the years that a lot of times when people are mad at me, they're not really mad at me. I just happen to be the closest target (laughs) to project the anger that they're feeling. And usually, they're angry at themselves. But it's hard to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. It's easier to project that anger to somebody else. That's what immaturity does. Cain gets angry at his brother. This is a, if you take your notes, this is a major sign of immaturity. When we project our anger unto others. We tend to take our anger at the people closest to us. He throws a deadly tantrum. And I'm sure that in the back of all of our minds, the question is, why did God not accept Cain's gift? Why did he accept Abel's gift and not, and, not, and not Cain's gift? There have been many speculations. Theologians have argued this. Was it because Abel brought an animal sacrifice, which means he, he, he displayed the power of a sacrifice by showing the shedding of blood because we know that life is in the blood. And so we show a greater devotion here by sacrificing something you can see and say, because back in the Old Testament, when you sacrifice an animal, you're saying, listen, God, I'm so serious about my sins and, 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 and my shortcomings that I'm willing to sacrifice something dear to me because life is in the blood. 
And so people, some people say it's because Abel offered an animal sacrifice that God was pleased with and Cain offered a grain sacrifice. But then you leave Leviticus. Leviticus says that God also accepted grain offerings. In the book of Hebrews, it gives you a little hint. In the, in the book of Hebrews, it says that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith. In other words, he approached God with a certain perspective of faith. And perhaps Cain didn't have the same aspect of faith because perhaps he just offered it out of just a ritual, just out of obligation, just out of, I gotta get this out of the way. It must be Sunday. Was Abel lacking faith? Was he just going through the motions? These are speculations, my friends, because the Bible doesn't tell us the real reason why his offering is not accepted. Here's some more hints. In Psalm 51, my favorite psalm in the whole array of psalms, Psalm 51, it's David repenting of his sin that he committed with Bathsheba. But in that psalm, David says this. David says that the God does not desire sacrifices, but he, the sacrifice he truly desires is a broken and contrite spirit. That God will not despise a broken and contrite spirit. In other words, God's not just looking for the outward sacrifice. He's looking at the heart behind the sacrifice. When it comes to pleasing God, oh, you got to catch this one. When it comes to pleasing God, it's not the thought that counts. It's a tough one because in our society, we love to live by thoughts. I, you know, I, I meant to do this right. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when it comes to a holy God who has principles, your thought is not enough. It's obedience that counts. How do I know this? Because in another instant of a sacrifice, Saul sacrificed a ton of animals to God and God was not pleased with the sacrifice. Saul even said, he said, man, I gave you all of this. And then God speaks through Samuel and Samuel says this to Saul. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And he goes on to say, he says, listen, this is Psalm, this is 1 Samuel 15. He said, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So this was an animal sacrifice that wasn't accepted. So it wasn't about the animal or the grain. It really is about obedience. See, Here's what I learned out. When, when the Bible doesn't give you details of why, it's for a reason. It's not for us to know the reason why Cain's offering was not accepted because it's not one size fits all. Yes, that's good. Yep. Yep. Because then we would always look at the thing that Cain didn't do and miss the thing we're supposed to do. So in other words, as a mature believer, my question is not why was Cain's sacrifice not accepted? As a mature believer, my question is, what is God asking of me? Because I don't want to miss out on my obedience. Please write this down. Obedience unlocks understanding. Sometimes God won't tell you anything until you obey. Then he tells you, this is why I told you to do that. Any parent in a house. <laughs> Parenting will give you a whole perspective of Father God that you don't have when you're not a parent. Obedience unlocks understanding. God said, 
sorry, God didn't say to Cain, do it like Abel. And I will accept you. Why don't you do it like your brother? He didn't say that. We say that. God said, if you do the right thing, you will be accepted. Please write this down. Comparison is immaturity. What does Cain do? Cain compares his gift not to his obedience, but to his brother. Comparison is the thief of joy. You ever be having a good day and you go on Instagram and someone's having a better day than you? <laughs> or at least it looks like it? You ever been having a good day on your car that is paid for and you see someone with their Mercedes Benz? And all of a sudden you wanna go in debt? Instead of be like, man, I got my Pinto and it's paid for, praise the Lord. Cain was comparing his gift to Abel instead of worrying about what am I lacking in my obedience. This is why we have so many immature theological wars going on right now. We are comparing each other's gifts as opposed to focusing on our obedience to God. What he does is, it reduces God to my narrow understanding of why he's not accepting my gift. Instead of a broader perspective of where am I missing it? Because God said, do the right thing, Abel, and I will bless you. Which tells me, this catch this, this is why it's not size fits, one size fits all, which tells me if God's saying do the right thing, it's because Cain knew what the right thing was for Cain. Right, right. Because it wouldn't be fair to God to ask Cain to do something that Cain doesn't know what it is. Problem is, a lot of times we know what we need to do, but we're trying to get around it. Oh, I know who I'm talking to today. Abel, minding his business, bringing his offering, pays a price for someone else's immaturity. Cain, get this, here's another sign of immaturity. Cain felt inferior to Abel. Because comparison usually leads to insecurities. So now, Abel is living rent-free in Cain's mind. How come he's accepted? Do you think he's better than me? I'm blessed too, you know. Who does he think he is? Why, why, why would God? I'm anointed too, you know. I know what I'm doing. You got to read between the lines because this is not like the next day he does this. No, this festers. Comparison and insecurity festers. And you begin to do the wrong kind of rumination. Instead of ruminating on your obedience, you ruminate on someone else's. Instead of using my mind to mind my business. <laughs> Problem is, Cain did not see himself the way God saw him. God didn't see Cain different from Abel because he said, hey, go do the right thing because I want to bless you. So this was not favoritism. This was go do what you need to do so I can bless you. Instead of seeing himself as God did, he saw himself through the eyes of Abel. What a mistake when we see our lives through the eyes of someone else. 
Jesus put it this way. He said, we worried about the speck in our friend's eye. We ignore a log in our own. Just picture that though. It's really funny. Picture a log <laughs> in your eye and you saw a little sawdust in my, you're like, can I help you? Let me help you, man. <laughs> I think Jesus was hilarious. We just read the Bible with too much religious eyes. You don't see the sarcasm in Jesus. Jesus was from New England. problem is when comparison and insecurities go unchecked, it leads to deeper consequences. So God says, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Once again, you see the love of God? God is anticipating and he's saying, Cain, be careful. This is not going to go well. Cain, be careful. See the love of God? Because you can read this wrong and think God was mad at Cain. No, no, no. God is saying, please do the right thing. I want to bless you. Sin is ready to pounce. See the picture there? Hidden tiger crouching. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> hidden dragon, I think, something like that. But the picture is, is an animal ready to pounce on a prey. He's saying that's, he said, Cain, this is what's happening right now. This is what's happening right now. This sin is like, just let me in. Just let me in. See, a thought is not a sin. Thoughts are taught. But when a thought becomes a meditation, and a meditation becomes a feeling, and a feeling becomes an action, that's what sin is like, my turn. The picture it gives you is like a lion waiting for his prey. And who does the Bible compare the lion to? It says the enemy is prowling along like a lion looking for someone to devour. But the enemy has no power over those who doesn't give him power to come in and have his way. Which, which tells me Cain had a choice to make. He's not a robot. He's been festering in his anger. Because they all go together, don't they? Immaturity, they'll run together. Anger invites comparison, comparison invites insecurity, insecurity invites action. It's the perfect storm. In the book of Jude, it gives you another hint about Cain. It's one chapter in the book of Jude. It says, if you do whatever your instincts tells you, you'll be in trouble like Cain. Our society loves to say that, right? Follow your instinct. But the Bible says, but my heart is deceitful above all things. Yes. Not every instinct is the right instinct. So the Bible says instead of instinct, you should replace it with discernment. Yes. Because discernment is about what is the right thing. What is the right thing? The right thing for two people could look very different. Two people could be in the same situation and the sermon says something different. Two people could go for the same job and the sermon says, this may be for you, it may not be for you. So it's not one size fits all. This is where we need to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you showing me? And what are you trying to tell me personally? See, please write this down. Lack of self-control is immaturity. When I start making decisions based on my feelings and emotions, not based on the discernment of the Holy Spirit, I have work to do. I have ways to go. See, because self-control is the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This is why God the Father is telling him, listen, if you don't master this thing, this thing will master you. In other words, if you've been reading through the book of Romans, like we've been doing, going through 60 days in the New Testament, you just read in Romans 6 and 7, this battle between what I want to do, I don't do, and what I should do, I end up not doing, whole miserable man that I am. Cain is in this dilemma right now between what he needs to do and what he's not doing. And the difference is going to be, will he master it or are we allowed to be mastered by it? And Romans 6 says, we all are slaves to something. We're either going to be slaves to sin or slaves to Jesus. But no one can say, I have no slave, no, I have no master. The moment you say that, sin has you as your master. All this talk about, you know, I just do my own thing. No, you do what the sin tells you to do. That's the truth. I do me. No, you do sin. Because if you ain't doing Jesus, you're doing sin. There's really no neutral ground here. Some people are like, you know, I'm not into that whole thing. It's like, no, you're either in or you're out. The Bible doesn't give any room for neutrality here. Whatever decision you're making right now, you're making it because Jesus is the Lord of your life or you're making it because sin is the Lord of your life. That's the reality. So when you hear a hard message like this, you have a choice. You will either kick and scream and say, man, I'm just going to do me. You can keep doing that and go to hell. Oh, yes, hell is a real place for people who say, God, I want to do my thing. Hello. Self-control is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the glue that keeps you together. Notice, it's the last one to be mentioned in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Why? Because without self-control, you can't do jack. Yes, yes, it's good. God is saying, listen, you either will master this thing or this thing will master you. Do you know why our churches are filled with immature people? Because we're mastered by sin, not the Holy Spirit. That's why we can't seem to make progress. Because every other day, we're being mastered by the same thing again. It's like, you ever see the movie Free Willy? It's Free Willy 1, Free Willy 2, Free Willy 3. At some point, you got to kill the whale. God, I'll never do it again. 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 At some point, you got to die to that thing and be alive to something else. I feel like most believers live half the gospel. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, I, was like, I'm, I did. should be praying, God, empower me not to go back to the same old... I need the power of your Holy Spirit so I don't have to be mastered by the things that has mastered me in the past. Now the power is for me to master it. The enemy is under my feet. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, what will save me from the body of death? Paul was like, man, this is exhausting. I thank God for Jesus Christ, he says. I thank God that there is a way out of the same old. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You will either be controlled by sin or you take authority over sin. But either way, you're going to be a slave. But Cain can't shake it. He can't shake it. He knows what he needs to do. He can't shake it. We don't know how much time goes by because the Bible, you're reading highlights. We don't know if this was a month, two months, three months. We don't know. But we are always surprised when someone snaps. And we're like, he was a nice guy. You ever watch the news when a neighbor does something crazy? People are like, I see him taking out the trash every day. He's just a nice guy. 
but you don't know how long that guy's been festering. Oh my God. God's like, I'm not surprised. I told him a long time ago, this thing is at your door. When I used to be a youth pastor, this used to get me. The kids were like, oh, pastor, one thing led to another. It's like, man, a lot of things lead to a lot of things for you to be naked on top of another person. Like, that's a lot of things. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like amazing consequences. Like, oh, amazing coincidence. Like, all of a sudden, you're in someone's house where you shouldn't be in the first place. The phone rang, but you didn't pay attention to it. God was trying to say, hello, get out of there. The door was knocked. You didn't pay attention. The girlfriend rang, and you're like, I'm all in. But you know, one thing just leads to another thing. I don't know about you, I just never just stumble upon Dunkin' Donuts. One thing led to another, I ended up at Dunkin' Donuts, I don't know, man, I just had a coffee here. It just keeps happening. He's telling the guy, he's like, man, I really wanna quit drinking, man, I just need a better life. I said, what are you hanging out? I go to this bar every week. Wait, what? Say it again. You hang out at a bar as you're trying to quit drinking. That makes so much sense, man. Like, man, that's revelation. No, it's, think about this. He can't shake it. Why? Because he has allowed it to grow. He's allowed it to grow. See, I told you, a thought is not a sin. Thought's a thought. I talk about this with my kids all the time. Hey, you had a thought? That's a thought. Just like you can't help a bird from flying over your head, it's gonna fly. You in New Bedford, they will fly over and try to take your food. Like, there's nothing like New Bedford birds. They're vicious. Like, it's in their DNA. I'm getting that right there. It's one thing for a bird to fly overhead, but if a bird lands on your head and builds a nest, that's on you. I don't know, I've just been walking. How? how? I don't know, one thing led to another, he started building a nest. Who am I to say no? I'm trying to be accepted of all things. No, 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 he lures him, the Bible says, he lures him. He lures him. He enticed him to this field. So in other words, this is what we call premeditated murder. This is first degree. This is premeditated sin. No, 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 you, you made plans. You made plans. See, it's easy to just say, man, that's just a crazy, bizarre thing. Like, how can a brother kill a brother? But Jesus said we do it all the time. We just don't do it physically. We do it verbally. We may not do it verbally. We do it emotionally. Worse, we do it spiritually. Words are powerful. The Bible says there's this power of life and death in your words. Some of you right now in this room are wounded by a word that someone spoke over you. A word that was more than a word, it was a dagger. I was in Alabama last week on a church conference. One of the biggest churches in America. 23 campuses. 60,000 people. And here is the pastor of a largest, one of the largest churches in America. He, he does this session and he says, I want to be very candid with you this year. I was this close from quitting this year. He's been doing it for 30 plus years. And I, he said, I hate to admit this, but for months now I've been depressed. And it all started because I allowed some negative voices to get on the inside. Because 
Everybody thinks the pastor is a robot. He doesn't feel anything. He's a man of God. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't have family. He doesn't, he doesn't have feelings. He doesn't have emotions. You know, you can just go ahead and go on YouTube and blast the pastors because the pastors can take it. But he said, those fiery darts got in. And he said, if it wasn't for the right voices that helped me to nurse me back, this would have been my last year in ministry. And you have no idea how many of these stories are happening. Why? Because it's premeditated. The enemy hates believers. And if he can take out the shepherd, then the sheep can scatter. So can I tell you something? Pray for your pastor. He's a human being. And before you criticize, just ask, have I ever been in a position of leadership? Have I? Or have I, I'm, 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 I'm talking from a place of luxury, which is the sidelines. We call these people modern, Monday morning quarterbacks. They all know what the quarterback needs to do, but they never played the position. But they're all experts. There's power in our words, my friends. And, and here's my conviction. I told my staff this week, I'd rather err on the side of encouragement and compassion than on the side of judgment and condemnation. I'm going to let God do that. I'm going to do my best to be on the side of encouragement because one day I'm going to have to stand before him and give an account for how I live my life. I want to make sure he knows, man, I did my best to err on the side of compassion. You are a compassionate God, so I'd rather be on your side than be on the other side. I'd rather you be the judge and I'll just be the voice. Man, this message, there's so much more to this. Can I go a little bit more? Because I'm running out of time. There's, there's so much. This message has so much to it. Because we're not just talking about ministry, my friends. You know how many marriages are wounded because of words? You know how many kids are wounded because of words? You know how many jobs are wounded because of words? He says, Cain, where is your brother? Please write this down. Immaturity is selfish. It only cares for itself. God is trying to elevate his thinking. Where's your brother, man? This is so good. I love the Bible. Because he says, I don't know. Clearly lying. And he follows with, am I my brother's keeper? Showing again his lack of maturity. This is why I love the Bible, how everything is connected. Jesus told the story of two brothers. Usually, the story is known more for the younger brother than it is for the older brother. And I think when we do that, you're missing 90% of why he told the story. Jesus said there was two brothers who came to their father and the younger one said, give me my inheritance because I want to go, which is in that culture, that's like telling your dad, I wish you were dead because inheritance, you get it after your father dies. And the father gives him the inheritance, he leaves and he, and he blows it. We know, the, we know the story, we call it the story of the, story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wasteful. He went and wasted all his resources and wasted his life away until he came to his senses and realized, I need to go home. What the heck am I doing here? But that's what we mean. I think half of the story is about two brothers. See, you got to pay attention to the little details the Bible gives you. Why is Jesus telling the story? You got to go back to the beginning of the story. Luke 15 verse 1 gives you a hint of why it's two parties. Watch this. Let me read it to you because I'm running out of time. 
Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the law complain to a tantrum that he was associated with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus tells them stories. When you tell someone a story, you're trying to tell that the was in front of you a story. So Jesus here is saying, listen, Pharisees and notorious sinners, big brother, younger brother. How do I know? Because when he's done with the story, the Bible tells you the young older brother was like, he's talking about us. Yes. We need to kill him. Because what does the young older brother do in the story? In that culture, if your younger brother's missing, it's your job as the older brother to go looking. Yeah. Guess who never went out to go look for his younger brother? The older brother who's saying the same thing he was saying, I'm not his keeper. Worse, the younger brother comes home and the father says, we're gonna throw a party, man, he was lost. Everybody is celebrating except for the older brother who's throwing a tantrum. The father has to leave the party and go find him and he says, why should you celebrate this dude who has just jacked up our finances and he went out there, he made a mess of it and now we're, we're lost half of our income because of him, why would you celebrate him? See, spiritual maturity is looking out for the younger brother. Spiritual immaturity is saying it's all about me. I slaved for you. I did this for you. And you didn't throw me a body. A lot of times, this, this will mess me up, man, when I think about this. A lot of times we are home, but we're lost. We might be more lost than the one who's out there if we don't know why we're home. Now that's a word. All over this nation, people are home at church, but they're lost. They don't even know why they're home. They're just going through the motions. How do you know that? Because the Bible says in that same story, it says, man, don't you know that when one sinner repents, the whole heaven rejoices? The heaven rejoiced and the older brother didn't. Isn't that amazing? We can get people here, they get saved, they get baptized, and all the brothers are like, I don't care. How sad. How sad. The Pharisees were supposed to be the older brother who looks out for the younger brother, but their immaturity got the best of them because their theology had no room for all younger brothers. This is my biggest concern about spiritual maturity in the church, where our theology has no room for younger, immature brothers and sisters who need a hand to be pulled up and helped and discipled and encouraged. Listen, my friends, I gotta go. But it's sad to be in the house but be selfish about it. It's sad when you hear people say, well, it's, the church is big enough. You know what I told the staff the other day? I have five kids. If one of my five kids is missing and you say, you already got, you got four left. I would lose Jesus and punch you in the mouth. How do you think God feels when he knows that he has a lot of younger brothers and sisters who are lost out there and we're talking about, oh, it's already big enough. Would it be big enough if your sister was out there, if your brother was out there, if your son was out there, if your daughter was out there, if your aunt was out there, if your, if your grandfather was out there, would it be big enough or would our mindset change? You can remain standing, I'm gonna close. See, spiritual maturity is when God does the deeper work that is not so obvious. Some of the stuff is obvious, right? Stop sleeping around. Stop cussing. Well, it should be obvious. But after a while, God's like, no, we're gonna go under the hood. 
let's go under the hood and get into those motives. Get into jealousy, anger, competition, comparison, unhealthy understanding of what it means to be a mature believer. God's like, let's go under the hood. This is what this series is about. Let's go under the hood. Yes, you're in church. You got your, your Sunday best on. But when was the last time you celebrated because of someone got saved? What's wrong with your heart? Let's go under the hood. Let's, let's investigate why you lost the joy of the Lord. Where did you lose the, the drive to go under uh, after younger brothers? At what point did you make it all about you? When did you become an expert and became a Monday morning quarterback of ministry as opposed to being in ministry and being on the front line and be, and, and be an offensive line or defensive tackle or, or a cornerback or a receiver? Well, what happened? What happened? Comparison, anger, jealousy, well masks within our souls, spiritual apathy in the house, but no joy for the things of God. No desire to help others grow spiritually. That's immaturity. God says his blood speaks. His blood is speaking from the ground, he said. It's actually, it's the blood of vengeance, he says. It's the wrath. God's like, I had to bring wrath. But thankfully in Hebrews, Chapter 12, he says, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Thank God that there was another sacrifice, because if not, all of us will be under his wrath. Yesterday, we were praying in our city. We went, we went to this park and prayed because a young man got stabbed to death. Am I my brother's keeper? I am. I love the city. I don't know this kid. I just know that if Christ lives in me, then that's my brother who got killed. And we can sit here and say, man, the youth, you know, all they do is this, all they do is that. But when was the last you invested? Drove to Brockton yesterday to meet with one of our young people who caught a case. And it breaks your heart. Am I my brother's keeper? You better believe I am. When was the last time you drove by a homeless person you saw a human being? Not a nuisance. Here we are, we're driving them away from the city, but with no options. No options. Because we want to look good outwardly. But what's our motives? What's our intentions? We're supposed to have city officials to care for people, not position and power and money and status. God says, do the right thing, I'll bless you. My mind's made up, God, I want to do the right thing. And the right thing for me may look different from you. And we have to be honest and say, God, what is the right thing? Where am I lacking in my obedience? Where am I lacking in my obedience to you? He didn't call us to keep scores on others. That's immaturity. That's what I'm seeing. says you got to master it you know what it is for you we all got to be honest we know what it is for you the thing that keeps dominating you instead of letting Jesus be the Lord of your life we keep making excuses for the sins that Jesus died for and we wonder why we're not making progress five six seven years in the church and still dealing with the same stuff because we're not killing it it's killing us Paul says I beat my body back in blue so he can do what he's supposed to do because I don't want to be disqualified. He gave you an analogy of the Olympics. 
says, as an athlete, I fight to win. I pray that we are a church who does care for the unchurch. And I told him at the park, you will never hear me from up here say unbelievers. I always say unchurched because any, everyone could believe. Everyone could have faith. Everyone could have a second chance. Everyone could have new life. So I'm praying that our maturity comes up a little bit. I'm praying our maturity comes up a little bit. And we prayed last night for every church in the city because people need options. They need healthy churches that they can walk into and find freedom and find healing and find hope. You will never find me bashing another church. They may bash me, but I'm not lowering my, my standards. I am not lowering my standards. Because I'm going to err on the side of compassion. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Take ownership of the word. Don't let it just be a word. Let it be your word. What is God saying to you? How is God ministering to you? Where, do you, where are you lacking obedience? I don't care. Listen, you come to church for 20 years, but God's told you what you need to do and you don't do it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You cannot live like the world and expect God to bless you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and confirm your word in our hearts? Confirm your truth. Confirm your will for us to grow up a bit, to take ownership for what we need to take ownership for, to truly surrender that thing that keeps tripping us up, to make the decision to make you the Lord and Savior and Master of our lives, not sin, not the world. So open our hearts to more of you today, we pray. And have your way with all of us, Lord, we surrender today. Glorify your name over our lives. Make us holy as you are holy, Lord. We want to be holy, righteous, people of justice, people of hope, people of compassion, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We bless your name today. Open our hearts to more of you. If you want more of God, I'm going to ask you to do something bold today. I want you to get out of your seat. Take a step of faith. I don't, you don't have to kneel. Just come and stand. I want to pray that, that we have people in this house who are able, people who are like, God, I want to be a living sacrifice for you. Because that's the only sacrifice left to do. It's your life being a living sacrifice. So as we sing the song, I want to encourage you, man. Sometimes you got to take a step of faith. You got to get out of your seat. Maybe you've been away from God. Maybe you've been lukewarm. Maybe you're one of those saints who've been in church for a while, but you've lost the passion for people. You've lost the drive for people. You don't even get excited when you see someone get saved anymore. Because you're in the house, but you're lost. Come on, begin to bring that song up. I want to do what us, we're worshiping. Just come. I don't want you to kneel. I want you to come and stand. I want you to come and stand. And lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I am one of those living sacrifices. I came to surrender myself to you so you can have your way. So you can have your way. You can have your way. I am my brother's keeper. I am available. I am willing. You can have your way. Shake me up today. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's lift up. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.